Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you in this day, humbled by your power, humbled by your greatness, humbled by the infinite of your love for us. We're thankful for your willingness to look on us pure, poor humans that you are willing to send your son Jesus to have a relationship with us and that you can give us peace in the midst of the turmoil of this world. We pray now that you would come and be with us in this day, that you would strengthen our hearts through your word, and that you would encourage, uplift, and bless us as we seek to experience your power and your love in our lives today. All these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I've been reading this week in the uh, book of Amos. And it talks about the, in chapter 7, it talks about the symbolism of God standing with a plumb line. And although I'm the farthest thing from a builder or a uh, construction person that there might be. I did grow up in a family of builders. Many of my uncles were builders of pole barns, of homes, of swimming pools, and every Sunday night, they used to uh, get together, if there was not a church function, they would get together and the tendency was to discuss their latest building problems. And ultimately, after many different frustrated approaches or attempts that they described that they took during the week, they would end up with this problem of creating something that was level. And so these discussions usually ended with the comment, what we need here is a skyhook. Now, you may not be familiar with the skyhook, but the skyhook is this magical cord that dangles from the sky with a hook on the end. And it's used by uh, creative construction people to uh, lift up their buildings and get them into plumb, lift up their construction problems and get them into plumb. So today, I'd like to talk to you about God's building, 
I'd like to talk to you about God's skyhook, his own right hand. So let's turn to Amos 7. Thus hath the Lord God showed unto me, and behold, he formed grasshoppers in the beginning of the shooting up of the latter growth. And lo, it was the latter growth after the king's mowings. And it came to pass that when they had made an end of eating the grass of the land, then I said, O Lord God, forgive, I beseech thee, by whom shall Jacob rise? For he is small. The Lord repenteth for this. It shall not be, saith the Lord. Thus hath the Lord God showed unto me, and behold, the Lord God called to contend by fire, and it devoured the great deep, and did eat up a part. Then said I, O Lord God, cease, I beseech thee, by whom shall Jacob arise? For he is small. The Lord repenteth for this. This also shall not be, saith the Lord God. Thus he shewed me, and behold, the Lord stood upon a wall made by a plumb line, with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said unto me, Amos, what seest thou? And I said, A plumb line. Then said the Lord, Behold, I will set a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will not again pass by them any more. And the high places of Isaac shall be desolate, and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste. And I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent to Jeroboam, the king of Israel, saying, Amos hath conspired against thee in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words. For thus Amos saith, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel shall surely be led away captive out of their own land. Also Amaziah said unto Amos, O thou seer, go, flee thee away into the land of Judah, and there eat bread, and prophesy there. But prophesy not again any more at Bethel, for it is the king's chapel, and it is the king's court. Then answered Amos and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet, neither was I a prophet's son, but I was an herdman and a gatherer of sycamore fruit. And the Lord took me as I followed the flock, and the Lord said unto me, Go, prophesy unto my people Israel. Now therefore hear thou the word of the Lord. Thou sayest, Prophesy not against Israel, and drop nigh not thy word against the house of Isaac. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, thy wife shall be an harlot in the city, and thy sons and thy daughters shall fall by the sword, and thy land shall be divided by line, and thou shalt die in a polluted land, and Israel shall surely go into captivity forth of his land. So the background to the book of Amos is that, as Amos described here, he was a shepherd and a gatherer of wild figs. And he was actually born and lived in Tekoa, which is the land of Judah. If you remember, of course, after Solomon's kingdom, the uh, Israel and Judah split in two. Israel was the northern kingdom, and Judah was the southern kingdom. And 
Amos was born in the southern kingdom or lived in the southern kingdom and was called to prophesy to the northern kingdom, to Israel. And it so happened that this time in Israel was the, uh, a very prosperous time. Some say it was the most prosperous time since the time of Solomon. This Jeroboam, there are actually two Jeroboam, this is a, not the Jeroboam the first, but I will call him Jeroboam the second. This Jeroboam was the son of Joash, and also uh, the uh, Joash delivered, um, won lots of, uh, of territory back from the Syrians, and Jeroboam extended that. Uh, going here to even as far as Damascus and conquering that. So this was a, a third generation of, of wealth that they had built up um, through conquering. Also, uh, Jeroboam's father here had went against Judah and had won a battle against the king of Judah and taken the gold and silver from the temple and from the king's palace. So this was a very prosperous time in the, uh, in the annals of Israel. However, things were not so good. The Lord was not happy with Amos, with, I'm sorry, with uh, Israel. If we look in chapters 8 and 9, we'll see some of his, his, his accusations against Israel. There was a lot of social injustice, a lot of pleasure-seeking, self-indulgence, um, gross idolatry, greed. In chapter 8, it talks about how uh, the people were just waiting for the Sabbath to be over so they could go out and, uh, and cheat people again to get more gain at the end of the Sabbath. And it also talks about their attitude to the, the poor and the needy and their lack of compassion. So in this context, Amos sees these three visions. If we look at the book of Amos, there are actually five visions that he received. In chapter 7, we have three visions. Number one, the vision of the grasshoppers or the uh, eating and taking the locusts or grasshoppers, uh, clearing out the land, the grass of the land, eating all the crops. And Amos begged God to not to do this, and it says God repented. So this is difficult here in this, uh, perhaps this interpretation. If we go back to Numbers 23.19, it says, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? So one of the things we see here in several places in this chapter is what is known as anthropomorphism, that is, assigning human characteristics to God either a physical appearance or perhaps uh, feelings or reactions of talking about God as if he's a human. And we know that God is not a human. He is infinitely above us. So while it is helpful for us to talk about the uh, traits of God as 
as a human being. In essence, we know that God is a spiritual being and is not ultimately um, is ultimately uh, in very different than we are as human beings. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. So here it says that God repented of this. In essence, as we saw in Numbers 23, God does not repent. God does not change his mind. This is because of, as humans, we see things in a, we, we see things, our, our timeline is very finite. Our lifetime, the moments that pass, versus God sees time on an infinite timeline. God sees things yesterday, today, and tomorrow. It is one continuous, one continuous stretch of time to him, and he can see it all at once. And so, if we, if when we look at things, we say, well, here, Amos is talking about this, he says, well, God repented, God changed, changed his mind. Okay, but God already knew what he was going to do, and God knew what Amos' responses was, were going to be, and God knew what was going to happen. So, in essence, God did not really change his mind. But to explain, us, to explain this to us as humans, again, we use the wording here that God repented. If God was a man, his reaction would have been to repent or to, to change his mind. Again, the second vision he had here was of the, the fire, and he asked God, not for it to happen, and God again repented. And then finally, here in chapter 7, we came to the, the third vision, the vision of the plumb line. And from this, we see that God was measuring his creation. You know, God created us in the first place with his hand. We look at Psalm 1 or 2.25. Of old hast thou laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of thy hands. God created the heavens with his hands. God built the heavens with his hands. We look at uh, Jeremiah 18.6. We see that God shapes the nations with his hand. O house of Israel, cannot I do with you as this potter, saith the Lord? Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are ye in, the, in mine hand, O house of Israel. And finally, we see that God creates and shapes us with his hand. Again, using the, using the uh, simile of a potter, Isaiah 64, 8, But now, O Lord, thou art our father, we are the clay, and thou art potter. And we are all the work of thy hand. So we see that God is the master builder, and he gets his hands dirty, so to speak, in building 
creating heaven and earth in the first place, in shaping the nations, and in shaping us as individuals. Here we see, in Amos 7-7, we see how he came and he wanted to check the quality of his building project here, of the nation of Israel. So as God held a plumb line, a plumb line, of course, is a string with a weight on it, so through the use of gravity, the plumb line will show you whether the wall of the building is straight or not. Of course, nowadays, people are more likely to use levels with the little bubbles, or perhaps there's an app for that. But here, God is measuring Israel with this plumb line. And God did not find Israel to be in plumb or level or straight. God also measures our lives as individuals with his word. He wants to know if our lives are in conformity with his word. He wants to know if we are in plumb or not. But God promises help to get us in plumb. Isaiah 41.10, he says, Fear not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Again, the vision of God using his hand to get involved, using his right hand, his hand of strength, we know that most people in this world are, are right-handed, and in the Bible, the use of the image of the right hand shows the strength and the power of God. I will use my right hand of righteousness to correct you, to correct the nations, to correct us as individuals, God has said. And finally, when our foundations are weak, when we are shaped when we are shaking, when we are having difficulty keeping our spiritual buildings in plumb, God promises, Isaiah 41, 13, For I, the Lord thy God, will hold thy right hand, saying unto thee, Fear not, I will help thee. So God not only says that he will use his right hand to correct, to steady the building, He says, we can take his right hand, we can grab hold of God's right hand when we are having problems, when we are facing difficulties, when we are shaken by the wind, shaken by the trials of this life, God is there to reach down and to take our hand. Not only that, God, as the ultimate builder, He says he can level the earth. Isaiah 40, verses 4 and 5. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill shall be made low. The valleys can be filled up and leveled. The mountains can be sheared off and create a level road. And the crooked shall be made straight, 
and the rough places plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. God can take our ragged mountains. God can shear them off. If we're low, God can exalt us from a valley into a level field or plain. God promises to to shape us just as he promised to shape us as a potter. And ultimately, we know that God exalted Jesus to be at his right hand. Colossians 3.1, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. So our vision has to stay on heaven. Our vision has to look to God. Why? Ephesians 2.10, For we are his, God's, workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God before hath ordained that we should walk in them. And we're promised that one day, we're promised that we can have a foretaste now, and one day that we can be with Jesus in heaven. Ephesians 2, 6 And God hath raised us up together in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. We can have that foretaste of heaven now as God directs our lives, as God, as the master builder, shapes our lives, as God's hand upon our right hand upon our shoulder guides us as his right hand, as we reach out and grab his hand and take it in ours and walk forward with him. You know, there is no such thing as a builder's skyhook. But we have something much better. We have God's hand from heaven reaching down to us. We have his strength and his power that he transfers from his hand to ours. We have his guidance to keep us in plumb, to keep us aligned with his word. And when all the spiritual forces of darkness beat against us, when all the circumstances of this world stand against us, God's hand is still mighty to deliver us in this world and in the world to come.
To close, I'd like to read a verse by Jenny Bain Wilson. Jenny Bain Wilson was uh, born on a farm in Indiana in 1856. Unfortunately, she came down with typhoid fever as a little girl. Her spine was damaged by the bacterial infection and she was unable to walk. And she used a wheelchair her entire life after that. But she wrote thousands and published hundreds of Christian hymns, including this one. Time is filled with swift transition. Naught of earth unmoved can stand. Build your hopes on things eternal. Hold to God's unchanging hand. Trust in him who will not leave you, whatsoever years may bring. If by earthly friends forsaken, still more closely to him cling. Covet not this world's vain riches that so rapidly decay. Seek to gain the heavenly treasures that will never pass away. When your journey is completed, if to God you have been true, fair and bright, the home in glory, your enraptured soul will view. Build your hopes on things eternal. Hold to God's unchanging hand. May God bless his word.